Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Rolling on Silver 7's Thursday Night Football. Lots of Thursday Night Football. Candy, did you... uh, did you get down in-game on uh, my team from Boone, North Carolina? App State pulled the upset last night, getting four and a half against Coastal Carolina, unbeaten, down. Now there's only ten of them left in college football. I was so terrified by the story you told me about you <laughs> as a color wrestling commentator in yeah. Boone, North Carolina, that I tried to forget that game was even happening. I didn't want any part of it. I didn't want to think about Boone, North Carolina. I didn't want to think about Greg the Hammer Valentine coming in baked. I didn't want to think about you getting paid in Bojangles for being a wrestling color commentator somewhere up in the hills. I needed nothing if that in my night. I I got all the way away from the game. Battled Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four, number five. Yeah, tonight we've got Thursday Night Football with the NFL. Broncos, Browns, no Baker Mayfield. Half an hour away from two games, SMU unbeaten against Tulane. Arkansas State against Lafayette or just Louisiana, who just got snubbed for the AAC. Damn the AAC. FAU, who just got invited to the AAC, future AAC rival. A lot of AAC mentioned on the show. Uh, FAU is taking on Charlotte. And then, of course, our hometown Rebels at the Owl, 8 o'clock start. Catch-up spot, I think. Catch-up, not catch-up. Catch-up spot for a lot of betters. If they don't have a good night betting, UNLV hosting San Jose State. That line has now been pushed to plus six. All right, let's get into the big five. Candy, you are on fire. You still have something stuck in your craw, whatever your craw is, about the people who went out and were bashing Simone Biles. What's going on here? It's still Is it still happening or you have some payback coming? Oh, no, no. There's no payback to be had. Um, Any payback, should she want it, belongs to Simone Biles, the best gymnast in the world and maybe the best gymnast the world has ever seen. Um, If you were one of those people who was out there during the Olympics questioning whether mental health was a reason for her not to compete, questioning whether the twisties, as she put them, which turned out to be a fairly common phenomenon in gymnastics, should have kept her from competing on the biggest stage. If you thought it was weak, if you thought it was soft, if you thought that it was an excuse, you're wrong. You were wrong then, and you're wrong now. Because Simone Biles was on the Today Show just today and was talking about what she's going through because there's one of those post-Olympic tours going on where they barnstorm around the country and go to different arenas and perform gymnastics. And you know what? That is about these athletes being able to make a little bit of money because obviously you don't make a lot of money from the Olympics. Um, she still can't compete fully in that. That's There are no gold medals there. there. There's nothing for her to gain other than for her own well-being, and she still can't do it because that's how much mental health has affected her. It is a serious issue, and if you're calling people who deal with it soft – you're wrong, you were wrong, and you will be wrong. 
I don't twist. I do double A half outs, which yeah. is my signature move on yeah. the floor, but that's never affected me. But everything else is just like weighs so heavy and I watch the girls do it and mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. Is that weird? Um, yeah, to do something that I've done forever and just not be able to do it because of everything I've gone through is really crazy because I love this sport so much. Do you hear the emotion in her voice? Do you hear her voice cracking, talking about watching gymnasts who, let's be really honest, are not her equal, able to go and do the things that she used to do as second nature. And she's watching it from the side as a young woman with so much of her life in front of her, realizing that the one thing that has been her identity, and not just her identity, her identity as being better than everybody else at doing it, is right now untouchable. And she I don't think there. people understand the magnitude of what I go through, but for so many years to go through everything that I've gone through, put on a front, I'm proud of myself and I'm happy that I can be a leader for the survivors and bring courage to everybody speaking up. So I'm happy to be a voice for them, but we go through our own things and it's hard, but the twisting once I got back, will come back, but I'm still scared of new gymnastics. And keep something in mind here. I saved this for the end because she just talked about it. Um, Simone Biles, among many American gymnasts who were affected in the sexual assault scandal involving Dr. Larry Nasser in Michigan State. That's when she's talking about survivors. Um, there's an entire generation of gymnasts who were violated that are trying to deal with that in addition to whatever other individual pressures and competitive pressures that they have. If you think mental health is soft, I hope that you never have to experience it. Number four. Well, it's all over, pretty much. Braves-Astros World Series, we in? Nothing that I could imagine wanting more than Atlanta versus Houston for the Baseball Worlds Championship. Uh, we are getting, is it Sour Grapes? So they got something here. We're getting more discussion about the Astros trying to get the extra edge, something about whistling. Is this just the uh, Red Sox whining? I'm not even sure it came from the Red Sox side in the first place. Uh, the first video I saw of this was, from just the baseball fan site about before Altuve's homer, there being a very distinct whistle uh, before the pitch came in. Look, I, I cannot be unbiased about this. As someone who has a Yankees fan was one of the fan bases affected by the Houston Astros admitted cheating, I can't be unbiased about this. But let me just say this much. Altuve again, huh? Altuve on this one. Altuve with the buzzer against the Roldis Chapman in 19. Altuve in 2017. How much smoke do I have to see before there's a fire? And, and I'm, I'm going to start counting down the seconds until I get a text from Tyler Bischoff. Uh, it'll probably include a video of the home run of Altuve against Chapman. But you know what? I'll take it. They cheated. They know they cheated. And this kind of question is going to follow them because they cheated whether they did or not. Number three. Boy, big rumor of the middle of this week. This is coming from John McClain, who's covered the NFL forever down in Houston, is that the Deshaun Watson to the Dolphins trade rumors are heating up. He was saying it could be done by the end of the week. You would think Tua would go in the deal, but then there's also a lot of discussion about Tua being flipped to a 
third team. What do you think of this? I'm not surprised by the idea of Tua Tagovailoa being traded. Um, that game against the Jaguars that you and I watched at the Westgate last week probably is about the peak of where Tua's value is going to be uh, because last year didn't impress anybody. And now he goes against one of the worst defenses in the world and puts up a whole bunch of yards and looks respectable. Yeah, I'd be trying to trade him if I were Miami too. Um, but when it comes to Deshaun Watson, the legal system gives us absolutely no certainty, no indication as to what the future of Deshaun Watson is. And if you're going to commit what the Texans are asking, which reportedly is two first-round picks and two second-round picks as a starting point, then I would have to think your owner has to be pushing you as a general manager to do this on the shiny object idea of Deshaun Watson being able to play for you because there's no world in which that's a responsible trade. Ari was very annoyed by... A lot of things. Well, this factoid, and Harry Mays from Philly, Sports Talk Guy, was just talking to us about the fact that Watson doesn't want to go to Philly. Uh, Ari was saying, hey, I, I don't think you'd be that picky right now. Is is Ari on to something here? I mean, I, I kind of think Watson can be picky. Here's the other thing to remember. He has not been charged with a crime. He's not on some exempt list or suspended by the NFL. I mean, he holds some of the cards. I'm not saying he holds all the cards, but... Yeah, he has some control of where he goes, and I guess he has a no trade that includes Philadelphia. Yeah, what do you think of that? Are you annoyed like Ari is that, hey, he's going to snub Philly? He doesn't want to go to Philly? You know, Ari's a hometown guy. He's right there you know, from 70 miles away from Philly. That's where he grew up. Deshaun Watson holds cards. There's no question about that. Um, but the Houston Texans have shown that they're not terribly interested in what he's got in the hole because – Otherwise, why are they sitting him? Right? I mean, let's come back to the primary question in all of this. Why are the Houston Texans sitting down one of the top three quarterbacks in the National Football League when he hasn't been charged with a crime? Why? They know more than we do. Obviously, they know more than we do. That's why he's sitting right now. But when it comes to the contract that Deshaun Watson has, they clearly know they have to pay him. Right? I mean, Deshaun Watson's around. There's nothing that's going to stop him from being able to collect his contract unless we see something more concrete come out than what we have against Deshaun Watson. You might not like that. Ari might not like that. You might think you're a creep. You don't deserve it. And I'm not here to tell you you're wrong. But the contract is the contract, and the charges aren't the charges until we see something. Number two. Let's talk some X factors for this Eagles Raiders game that's going down on Sunday. First of all, Alex Leatherwood, I guess by the grades, was improved. Where do you think they are right now with Alex Leatherwood? By the way, very interesting signing in the Mammoth. If anyone's been around the guy, you've never seen anything like DJ Fluker. Uh, but where do you think they are right now with Leatherwood? Yeah, as a uh, as a Giants fan who's watched some DJ Fluker, massive is is one thing. Yeah. <laughs> the rest is, is is in question. Where is Alex Leatherwood right now? Is it right guard? And he's probably staying at right guard for the rest of the season. And if the Raiders get some level of improvement, then they are going to be a prisoner of their own success when it comes to Alex Leatherwood's development. 
if you think he's the right tackle of the future, if Mike Mayock thinks he's the right tackle of the future, he should be at right tackle right now. But this team is 4-2 and two and tied for first place in the division. And as long as they're winning games, Alex Leatherwood's not moving off guard because it's not just about him. It's about everyone on that line, with the exception of Colton Miller, being some level of problem at this season. Are you confident now? Let's go to the backfield. This is another X factor or factors. After one look at the offense run by Greg Olson and you know his boss, Basaccia, that we've now got the Kenyon and Josh show moving forward. Are they going to use Kenyon Drake? And I was going to say as much as they did last week. He actually got six total touches, so that's not a ton. But do you think this is going to be the mix moving forward that Drake is really going to be involved? He needs to be involved. Yep. He, he adds a dimension that they don't have, and John Gruden knew that. John Gruden signed him for too much money. But John Gruden signed him to add a dimension that they did not have. Look, Josh Jacobs can catch the ball. But the fact of the matter is, you never have any idea when Josh Jacobs is going to be, A, healthy enough to play, and B, healthy enough to perform in that role. Maybe you need to have him more running in straight lines and able to control things as opposed to trying to dodge people in the open field running routes. Maybe that's not something that he's able to do with all the lower leg issues that he's had. I'm speculating. I'm not telling you anything that I know or anything that we've seen. But Kenyon Drake, simply by running a 30-yard wheel route for a touchdown, added something the Raiders don't have right now, which is a pass catching back out of the backfield. Number one. Boy, this was a quote this week from Josh Jacobs. One, he said... This is about as healthy as he's felt in back-to-back weeks this entire season, so that's a good thing. How about talking about the last game and what the sidelines were like? This was uh, transcribed by our buddy Paul Gutierrez at ESPN. Jacob said, man, the sideline was just so – it was like it wasn't no anxiety. It was weird. It was like everybody was calm. You didn't have somebody cussing at you. Wait a second. You'd have somebody cussing at you or going crazy at the refs. None of that. Something bad happened, and it was like, okay, next play. Like, I don't know that Josh Jacobs has any axe to grind against John Gruden. Not that I know of, but what do you think of his comments about a calm sideline in the last game for the Raiders? Well, I mean, Cofield, that's what happens. You change out the coaching staff, and you get a whole new right. set of voices in there, and you know it, it affects people, right? One it, it, man is gone. What, oh, what does he mean? Right. Everything it's changed. Only one voice that's gone for the Raiders. John Gruden is gone, and I don't think we've had much of a look behind the curtain as to what the personality was of Gruden with the team, right? And I think Josh Jacobs has just given you a little bit. Um, It's not all that dissimilar to what we heard from Justin Fields talking about when he had Bill Lazor calling plays in his helmet versus having Matt Nagy calling plays in his helmet. Uh, Some personalities are just going to respond better to that measured, calm kind of tone. It sounds like Josh Jacobs might be one of them. The other reality at hand here is, because you just compared a couple of guys, right? Gruden and Matt Nagy. I don't know how the coach can do all of this and run an offense at the same time and be composed all the time. Right? There's too much going on. This is part of the fallacy of what you do when you give a head coach total control. And I don't just mean play calling. I mean, think of the fact that John Gruden was 
effectively the general manager of this team, Mike Mayock or not, 51-49 or whatever you want to call it. John Gruden was the head coach, John Gruden was the offensive coordinator, and John Gruden was the general manager of this team. So you're not only trying to scheme up how to make your players work, but you are also trying to figure out should those players be on the roster in the first place week to week. Um, are you the one who's out there trying to see who other teams have cut, who can help you? Is Mike Mayock doing that work? Obviously, there is some level of partnership there uh, between them, but there's a big difference between I'm a voice in the process and I have to make the decision. And anybody who's ever been a boss knows that. And when you have to be three different bosses at once, is it realistic for anybody to do that in the modern NFL? I don't think so. Golden Knights lose last night 3-1. to one. Uh, They got some shots off, not a lot of quality shots. And like I said, they lost 3-1. We knew the offense would struggle without Stone and Pacioretty. Now is the time that everything needs to come together from everyone, and that includes the fans. Last night was a little weird at the end of the game. We'll get into that and uh, also what Candy saw from the defensemen who were, you know, they, they need to help. They need to be offensive-minded, but last night was not a good sign. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. Vegas takes it there. Smith ahead with Carlson. Makes the feed. Carlson shot. Rebound. Score! William Carlson stayed right with it. one nothing Golden Knights. Smith to Carlson for a two-on-one breakaway. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Knights fall 3-1 to one to the Blues at the Fortress. Edmonton and the Islanders are on the way. Candy, what did you think in, you know, game one here back at home where they're going to need to get more offensive help from the defensemen? Uh, you did tell a great story earlier, which I want you to repeat, that uh, there was some impatience on the part of the Knights, so much so that our buddy Gary Lawless, who is very good on the radio broadcast um, and very objective, not everyone is willing to criticize the team they work with and work for. Gary brought it. He was on edge. Gary held nothing back by the end of that game, and he pointed out that it wasn't just him. He, doing the job of a radio broadcaster, was reflecting what he saw in the arena. He said, I'm looking at the coaching staff right now, and it is a low boil. And that low boil was after too big of a chance by Shea Theodore in a pass that turned into the empty net goal for the St. Louis Blues. And it was after watching the Alex Petrangelo giveaway just minutes earlier at center ice that led to a 3-on-0 for the game-winning goal for the St. Louis Blues. If you take those two things out of it, then you're looking at the Golden Knights being able to maybe steal a game in which they didn't play that well, but the top line had jump. Let me say the, the nice part here. The top line absolutely had jump for the Golden Knights, and that got credit from Gary and company as well. But as I was listening to it, Gary Lawless was very clear about the fact that this team did not play a disciplined game last night, that they did not stay within themselves and within their system to win a game against the St. Louis Blues. And to get that from the team radio commentator, the team reporter, um, that, as you mentioned, is not a small thing. Um, and I give credit to him for being able to do that. 
The Golden Knights have one of the better broadcast teams, TV and radio, in all of uh, in all of hockey, and, and that that deserves to be recognized. And when they're willing to jump out there and say things like that, it only builds their credibility when they say positive things about the team. Were Were you surprised that it seemed like some fans were thinking, you know what, this is lame, we're out of here? So I will give you the full disclosure from my side. I had an early morning to try to get to today, and so after the St. Louis goal um, under the 10-minute mark of the third period, I started heading out figuring, okay, I I can watch it in the elevator on the way down, I'll catch the rest on the radio, and I'll beat the traffic out of here. Um, I did not beat all of the traffic out of there. Uh, there were fans who were right alongside me when I was getting out of that arena. And remember, it was not full in T-Mobile last night. You very uh, wow. astutely pointed out that as we were getting into the build-up to last night, that on the secondary market, that the get-in price for VGK tickets upstairs was $40. Yep. You know, uh, Magnum is over on Fox Sports Las Vegas, one of the stars of the uh, VGK Insider Show. Tweeted out a picture from upstairs. Uh, down to the crowd in uh, the lower level, and man, at the end, it was there. There were a lot of empty seats. He said, "I'm in shock. I'm looking at a lot of empty seats across from me at T-Mobile. It's a one-goal game with three minutes left to go, and people have left. What the hell?" Listen to these responses, and keep in mind, Golden Knights fans were the ones beating their chest and on a pedestal, pointing down at other sports in town that have attendance issues. Remember what the vibe was, right? Uh, let's see. Carmine says. Uh, it's the cult of flurry in my section. Um, another person said, I thought only people in L.A. did that. Another person, the petals are off the bloom. A Dave, it was sad and pathetic. Another one, it's getting tough to watch these games. Not as bad as L.A., but not good. Linda, they're boring, just grinding these games out. Michelle, I mean, it's a Wednesday. Okay. Okay. What is happening? Isn't that just a reflection of everything we said yesterday and today? You might not want to believe it if you're a VGK true believer. Wow. The flurry thing is real. So so this could be be an early season, hopefully just early season, pushback, protest? Flurry fans are that pissed off? I don't think it's a direct correlation, right? I don't think it's saying... They traded Flurry, so I'm not going to the game. Absolutely not. But I do think when the team comes out the way they did and nearly blows a lead to Seattle in game one and then gets worked over in L.A. in game two, and then there's a week off where all you hear about is injuries to the team and the players that everybody loved to wear the jersey of to the game, like Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, are going to be out. You have less motivation on a Wednesday night to go down to the strip. Um, I will give the uh, the parking situation this much credit it did not take me very long from henderson to get on the 15 off of flamingo around into the parking garage they had things moving pretty well so i don't think it's a matter of ah oh, the traffic's so bad i don't want to get it. no the, take that comment about the bloom is off the pedal or the pedals are off the bloom which makes way more sense <laughs> the pedals are off the bloom to be a double right yes it's a flurry comment but also, are we entering here in Season 5 what we thought we were going to get when this team wasn't supposed to be good at the beginning? Daily happy hour starts at 3 with beers, well drinks, and margaritas, just two seventy-seven.
Back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Keyshawn Johnson getting us ready for Thursday night football in the NFL. We'll react to that and give an update on what's going on with the injury situation with the Browns. Right now, they'll call her seven. You got a prize coming. Talk to Ari, 364-1100, 364-1100. Two tickets to Las Vegas Seltzerland 2021. That makes sense, right? Angel Park Golf Club. You can spend the afternoon tasting 30, 30 unique Hard seltzers. It's this Saturday. You can get your own tickets. 39 bucks. Are you drinking enough seltzers? <laughs> that's, that's a good value. I do. Uh, eventbrite.com. Eventbrite.com is where you can get your own tickets. But right now, call her 7364-1100. Spread the word. Very cool event. Angel Park Golf Club on Saturday. Las Vegas Seltzerland. 364-1100. So, Browns from a health standpoint. It does look like Landry has been activated, and last I saw, Candy, if you've been following it, uh, Beckham will give it a go. Could be interesting, right? Yeah. Could be interesting to have both of those receivers on the field. And remember, we thought this Broncos secondary was going to be outstanding this year with all the loading up they did. Patrick Sertan in the first round, Kyle Fuller in free agency, and it has not worked out that way uh, thus far for the Denver Broncos. So, again, to repeat, Case Keenum is not going to win this game by himself. And you've got massive issues at running back for Cleveland. You've got massive issues on the offensive line. Uh, but this Denver team is not built to go in and blow anybody out of any game. So that's why I think you look at it and say, if this spread is 1-1.5, I can't see how you're on the Broncos' side of it. If you've got the Broncos at you know more than a field goal, so be it. Uh, but at this point, if you're going to play this game – I think you're either looking and maybe you play a Broncos teaser leg if you if you feel strongly about that and tie it to something later in the week uh, and get seven and a half with a, a total that's going to be 40 and a half. Uh, but otherwise, uh, if you're just playing a straight side, I think it's got to be Cleveland if you're trying to take into account the fact that Denver is a team built to play close games. I agree. And yet on the other side, my God, there's got to be a sense of urgency after getting your teeth kicked in by the Raiders. There should have been a sense of urgency before you got your teeth kicked in right. by the Raiders because You're that right. game was going to determine your future in that division. The Broncos had a chance to do what the Raiders did and put themselves a couple of games in front of Kansas City. Still can't figure it out. Well, well I should can. say one, I, one game in front of Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. The opportunity was there. Kansas City obviously won its game. I can't figure it out. Vic Fangio is just not a high-level NFL coach. And I'll tell you, people – you know, we talk to a lot of media people. We work with uh, Judge Dan, as an example, Dan Jacobs, who's on the fan in Denver. A lot of frustration and a lot of I told you so about Fangio. People are really pissed. Now, it's it's early. It's only one game. They could bounce back tonight. Uh, like I said, they, they're in a position to win this game. Case Keenum is not a, a world beater. The Rebels are on ESPN Las Vegas later on. We'll have extended pregames, 630 with the pre-pregame, Chris Chapman will be over with a host of guests at Allegiant. 7.30, Caleb and Russ come on with their pregame, and then play-by-play goes down at kickoff. That makes sense, right? Uh, 8 o'clock start. Um, this line is actually steamed up. It doesn't surprise me. I, don't, I haven't seen any breaking injury news. I don't think there would be anything that would shock people, but it's actually it's steamed up from – I saw a low of 3.5 yesterday, San Jose State. 
Candy, it's now up to six. Yeah, I wouldn't get too crazy about a move between three and a half and six. The, the four and five numbers really don't mean a right. ton. It doesn't take as much action to move a Thursday night game between San Jose State and UNLV that's not seeing the same sort of volume uh, than NFL game does. That said, by the time it hits six, there is a little significance going from five and a half to six. I, I would be a lot more concerned if this got through to seven. Uh, I guess the question has to be, you know, we talked to Kevin Richardson from San Jose State yesterday, and he discussed these challenges that this Spartan offense has faced since Nick Starkle went down. Do you believe that the total is going to be as low as predicted for this game? If so, you get into the same situation you have with Cleveland and Denver in the NFL tonight and say, you know, UNLV has been able to play some close games lately. They have been profitable for betters the last couple of weeks, and if we're going to have a low-scoring close game, it's going to be hard to beat anybody by six. Can Charles Williams go off again? You know, that's one of the big questions. If he does, it changes everything about the UNLV offense. Absolutely. But, of course, the San Jose State front seven, as you've mentioned, might be yep. the best in the Mountain West. And so you start from a disadvantage right from the jump there. Last year, they got outgained by about 175 yards. Uh, Charles was limited to – he had a touchdown, but he had 19 carries and 55 yards. Oh, so he had a Najee Harris. Okay. I'm just saying, for everybody who thinks that Najee Harris is going to fix the Pittsburgh running game, right. every time you look at his line, it's like 20 carries, 47 yards. Don't mind me. Move on. 2019, towards the end of the season, when, and it was a lot of these same San Jose State defenders who are now veterans, that was the year that uh, the Rebels actually screwed over San Jose State as San Jose State was shooting for at least a 500 season to go to a bowl game. That was uh, Sanchez's second-to-last game, which is funny. I, you know, I was looking up uh, Sanchez at the end of his career, and looking up some Charles numbers, and I was like, that's right. Sanchez actually won two straight games to close out his coaching career, and uh, Charles closed out that year with 324 yards rushing in two games. He actually had 186 yards and three touchdowns against San Jose, so his results have been mixed. Some games have been outstanding. Now, that said, these guys were young guys for San Jose State on defense. Now they're they're older guys. I'll give you one of the things to watch tonight, and I'm going to mention this during the pregame that, uh, that Chapman is doing. I think it's a big factor, and I mentioned it to – Kevin Richardson, San Jose State, um, I'll, I'll call them dirty and undisciplined at times. It was ridiculous how much they were penalized last Friday. 107 yards in penalties, uh, 12 penalties. They actually had a couple others that were damaging that got called back, and I think two of the penalties were actually just simply jumping off sides on punts. The thing is, San Jose State is the team between these two that has a margin for a little bit of that error. The question is going to be what UNLV does on the other side. And just to bring up the point about Charles Williams again, that's another great reason to say it's not just about Charles Williams, it's about the offensive line, right? And maybe in the NFL it's more about the offensive line in the back than it is in college. But for Charles Williams, I think the question is going to come down to something that you started to see last week. This kid has gone through a lot of losing. And this kid cares. Yep. Charles Williams really gives a damn. And if there's anyone on that roster who is going to push them to a strong finish, who is going to kind of by force of will drag the rest of them along, it's going to be Charles Williams. Let's bring in Brad Powers in just a couple minutes, our college football gambling expert. He'll give us his leans and likes. Interesting week to break down as a lot of the high-level teams in the top ten are playing games where they're laying three, four, and five touchdowns. I just wonder how fired up all of these teams are going to be in what essentially amount to, hey, you got to win, but do you really have to crush the opponent? Look ahead spots. 
Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Brad Powers. All right, let's get the leans and likes in college football for this week, week eight. Brad Powers is with us, bradpowersports.com, at bradpower7, up on Twitter. Brad, what's up, buddy? Did you get the winner last night? Did you have App State in the upset against Coastal Carolina? No, I, uh, I bet Coastal plus one, who says closing line value matters, uh, even though they close as, what, a four-and-a-half-point favorite, so a loser for me. We've got three games going on right now. Two of them are scoreless. SMU's out to a 3 nothing lead against Tulane. Did you have any action in the 3-4-30 uh, the starts? Uh, I, my favorite of the three was Florida Atlantic. I bet at an early number. Still would have leaned even at the close at minus six and a half, but I was able to bet the circa opener at minus two. Really like the, the Owls tonight. Uh, bet the other two games, but they were small. Uh, a couple of unders on Tulane, SMU, and uh, Louisiana and Arkansas State. Did you hear anything on San Jose State or UNLV that would suggest the line bumps from four to six? Is Nick Starkle on the edge of playing? I did not hear anything concrete I. uh i i so i was a little surprised because you know a, a few people that, that i trust uh you know were kind of a little bit high on the rebels and we saw money come in on you and i'll be almost all week so i, I was surprised at that late line move yeah my worry on the unlv side we got the pregame coming up here in about uh 50 minutes so we'll get into this more my worry is the quarterback situation and the, the health of the quarterbacks and getting uh, Cameron Friel, who will probably be the guy tonight unless there's a miracle uh, the last couple of days with Doug Brumfield, uh, getting a quarterback through the game has been one of their biggest challenges. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, obviously the problem is, the, you know, the offensive line uh, continually has given up a pass rush consistently. And they played a rugged schedule. And, you know, San Jose State uh, tonight, uh, you know, I would say it's certainly not one of the strongest uh, you know, pass rush defenses that they face, considering, you know, you know, these play Arizona State, Iowa State, and whatnot. But, yeah, it's always a concern uh, week after week. And just doing a little uh, digging research, I, I mean, I don't think Stark was playing tonight. Nick Nash has been named the starter. So, again, I'm very surprised at this late line move. Yeah, I'll also tell people be very careful. I know I'm going a little long on UNLV here before we get to the other games. I'll, I'll tell people be careful with uh, some of the programs that are a bit off the radar, like the Rebels. Um, as far as I know, Tylee Collins, one of their best speed guys, is out for the season, and it, that was deemed like two weeks ago, and I still see him on reports as questionable. He's out for the season. so I mean, And, he, and that is a different figure because he had a big game uh, a couple games back where he, uh, you know, he popped off a uh, monster touchdown coming out of the half against Fresno State. So I, before we brought you on, Brad, I was mentioning during the, before the break that this is a weird week. you got a lot of teams that are in contention to win conferences, stay alive in the Final Four race, but they're not playing high-level teams, and I, I kind of look at that as a look-ahead week. Any spots, let's start with the Big Ten where you're worried about a cover, say Ohio State 21 against Indiana or Michigan 23-and-a-half against Northwestern? Lean dogs in both. I'd probably prefer Northwestern over Indiana. I mean, the Buckeyes are coming off a bye, although it's a little expensive uh, against the Hoosiers. Uh, it's just you know, they, at least according to my numbers. I mean, Indiana has played arguably the toughest schedule in the country, and obviously it's not getting any easier in that game. One thing I will say that doesn't get priced in always when Ohio State travels to Indiana, I mean, I, I grew up in Ohio. Ohio State will have half that crowd. So keep that in mind. 
if your power rings off a little bit in that game. Uh, don't be giving full home field advantage to Indiana. Northwestern, I like what I saw from their defense. I mean, obviously you got that up close and personal last week with what they did to your uh, Rutgers oh. team. But, uh, you know, coming off a of bye, that was their best defensive performance of the season. So, you know, my favorite side or total of those two games is actually the under in the Northwestern Michigan game. Early start, I think Michigan's a little bit slow and might be even peeking ahead a little bit to next week's showdown against Michigan State. So, for me, under 51 uh, is one of my favorite totals of the entire week. You confident Oklahoma is going to have it uh, buttoned up and fired up, laying 39 in a couple of spots <laughs> against Kansas? Uh, it's not so much a pro-Oklahoma uh, bet, but, I mean, how can you bet Kansas they haven't covered yet? doesn't matter who's coaching there. Uh, I mean, it's just obvious, obviously the worst Power 5 program in the country. Uh, forget winning games. They can't even cover inflated numbers. Obviously, I wouldn't have laid 39 with Spencer Rattler, quarterback, but Caleb Williams gives them you know, a different dynamic in that position. I didn't bet it. Uh, I just did the pass for me. What a wacky spot in Washington State. I mean, you know, as a handicapper, obviously you've never seen anything like this where a coach goes bye-bye because of, uh, you know, a dispute with the school and the state and the governor. I mean, do you rally around the coach here? Wazoo's plus four against BYU. Yeah, really tough. I mean, as the news is breaking, I knew money would be coming in on BYU. So, I mean, I bit off a little piece on BYU when that was all going down on Monday. I think it's an appropriate adjustment, but, you know, I'm not I'm not 100%. Sure. What what I do think is, you know, say you don't cash a ticket fading Washington State this week. Don't be afraid to go right back to it because you, they lost five assistant coaches, and there'll be a cumulative effect throughout the rest of the season just by losing that many man hours week after week after week. I think that'll add up. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking to fade Washington State, obviously, down the stretch of the season. And I, and I want to do it early in the week. So, I mean, if you want to get to it, a lot of people are going to want to fade Washington State. So, bet closer to the open. UCLA won against Oregon. Tough game. I bet the under early. Uh, it's dropped a little bit as far as the toll. I'd still lean that way at 60 and a half. You know, my numbers say UCLA. My head says Oregon plays the level of their competition. Uh, that's been uh, you know the, the year after year under Mario Cristobal. So I think you see more of Oregon what we saw in Columbus, Ohio, than what we've seen in the other five games so far this season. So I'll, I'll take the duck. You can hear it. This guy works on this stuff. Brad Powers is uh, great on college football. BradPowerSports.com, at BradPowers7, up on Twitter. My God, I wanted to text you today to see if you had the information on this, so I'll just do it and uh, call you on the carpet. But uh, it's something to look for down the road. Weird, I mean, it's a weird spot. You've got the number eight team in the country in Oklahoma State getting seven against an unranked Iowa State team. I, I like How many times in the history of college football has this happened? A top-ten team getting a touchdown against unranked? Uh it hasn't happened very often. I don't have it off the top of my head. I do think it's like the first time in like 15 years. Okay. All right, what do you think is going to happen? I wanted to bet Iowa State because I, I was anticipating, and I got the answer for you. That, so that, there was a pause. It's the first time since 1998. Notre Dame was an 8.5-point underdog at USC. Uh, they were in the top 10. They lost the game 10 nothing, but the reason why in that game Notre Dame was an 8.5-point underdog because I remember watching it. They were without their starting quarterback, Jarius Jackson, who got hurt the, the week before. So there was a reason they were, were such a big dog in that one. Uh, in this one, I lean Iowa State. I, I mean, I actually have Iowa State. They're number eight in my power rating, so they're actually the top-ten team, and they're being priced like it here. I mean, statistically speaking, 
uh, they should have won those two games that they lost. I mean, against Baylor and Iowa. So I, I treat them, you know, I treat what the stats say in those games, not necessarily the scoreboard. So Iowa State for me. And you got another weird one, a top 25 team in San Diego State on the road against Air Force. San Diego State's getting three. This, I, man, I haven't seen many quarterback situations for a top 25 team like San Diego State. I can't believe what's happening right now with Brookshire and Lucas Johnson. It's really bad, but it didn't stop me from betting the Aztecs. I mean, they kind of have Air Force's number. They know how to defend the option. They've won eight straight against Air Force. Uh, I took three and a half, though. It was all about getting that extra half a point there. And, a very, and another reason why I took it, very low uh, total, obviously, and every half point matters. So around a key number, took three and a half. It was one of my favorite bets of the week. But now at three, it becomes just a lean. That, that's how important a half point is. You know, one last game I didn't mention in terms of those look-ahead spots, but really the, the rest of the season, since he doesn't have very many uh, super competitive games, should I should I be worried laying 28 since he against Navy when Navy can retain the ball for so much time, if they even if they grind out a little yardage? It's a great question. Uh, although I think Cincinnati is perfectly capable, and they've shown in the past uh, of defending the option. I mean, they got a guy there that, that's been there, so it's not their first go around seeing it. So, I mean, Cincinnati has proven time and time again they're not afraid to put up style points. So it would be sincere or nothing for me. What I'd actually prefer, instead of laying the 28 into service academy, I think your total is a little too low. I mean, they bet this down from an opener of 53. I'd take over 48 and a half. There it is, folks. A couple of sharps. Two sharps just talking. Well, he's the sharp. I'm not really. I'm the square. Uh, Brad, appreciate it. <laughs> that was very good. Good information. We'll talk to you next week. Good luck this weekend. Hey, take care. Thanks for having me on. I'm a sharp. Sharp. Self-deprecating humor there. Uh, all right. Candy, before we get out of here, slot machine is back, I assume, on the sidelines. We're going to be going over to Legion here in a second, the big slot machine. Do we need to set rules on when UNLV football can run over to the slot machine and pull the lever? Sports Information Director Mark Wallington has been with that program for more than a quarter of a century. I asked him directly and said, what are the rules of the slot machine? And I was told that it is for touchdowns, interceptions, and fumble recoveries. Steve, will you be policing that? Uh, well, you know, last week I, I, I got involved in some physicality around the slot machine. I don't, I don't think I can police anything. Uh, 12.30 the game, we'll have the NFL tilt between the Browns and the Broncos. We'll have UNLV coverage here on ESPN Las Vegas. We'll see you.